My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 23 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. We've got a masterclass this week from Coach Rene Borg on one of the most effective ways to stay fresh, healthy and injury free and not end up overtrained when it comes to race day. And our feature interview is with Moira O'Sullivan, three-time Irish National Adventure Race Series winner, two-time Irish Mental Running Champion and an Irish Orienteering Age Group winner. The first person to complete the Wicklow round and a completer of the Dennis Rankin round. Moira is also a mother of two fantastic sons. And shortly after Christmas 2018, Moira's husband Pete took his own life after suffering with depression. A quarter glass of milk is Moira's new book on how she went about picking up the pieces after that tragedy. And the mountains and the running community played an important part in that process. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. How are you guys? Good to be with you all again this week. Another week gone by, another week closer, hopefully closer to getting back to racing and training normally again. Roll on the summertime and we'll be there sooner than we know it, hopefully. In the meantime, stay well, stay strong. And for the next hour or so, really great to have you on board with us. And I must say that it was a busy weekend for myself here. I got married to the beautiful Jennifer Perez in a very much a COVID wedding. It really strange strange but wonderful experience in a way um, only just myself and Jennifer there along with only four guests two of which were Liam and Alba my two little kids and then Jennifer's brother and her his girlfriend as well we had to wear a mask during the ceremony no big party afterwards no friends and family of course there as well so we really missed everybody important family and important friends that weren't there but just like hopefully we'll be back racing and training very very soon hopefully we'll be able to get back to seeing our dear friends and family very soon as well before we start the show this week a special thank you and a shout out to our two new patrons who have joined us since the last show julie mcnamee thank you very much indeed julie and um, julie who is a regular podium finisher in trail races all across the country and to mark bernie many thanks to mark and julie for joining us on our patreon page and about that patreon page as we say every week guys we will never put up paywalls for our content as our aim is to grow the sport of trail and mountain running in ireland in a fun and free way for our listeners and with the patreon page we simply ask that if you would like to make a contribution to the show to help cover costs and make a small recognition for the hours that we put in to produce the show, we will be very grateful and we will continue to do our best to produce great content for you. A quick shout out as well to our friends in Imre this week who are staying optimistic and have opened up membership for 2021 and hope to be in a position to announce some form of a racing calendar towards April. In the meantime, they have some great virtual challenges planned and they are kicking off this week with some strength building activities under the guidance 
students of coaches Sarah McCormick and Paul Tierney, world-class mountain and trail runners both, so they are in good hands there. And keep an eye out, keep an eye out on the IMRA Facebook group page and the IMRA website for further activity from the Irish Mountain Running Association over the coming weeks. Right, so let's get cracking on and let's dial in our head coach from Running Coach Ireland, Renee Borg. Renee Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Renee, great to have you back. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Owen, here. We're just uh, recovering from the gusts of wind we got yesterday. Oh, you know, and how's the training going, Renee? Have you been able to get out and within your 5K limit, of course? Um, how are the legs? Uh, they've had a, it's been a bit of a trouble start to the year. I think it's kind of been a general manifestation of everything else going on. You know, when your life is not so settled and often you kind of see it come into the training. So there has just been, it hasn't been as flying a start as I had to last year, but I'm getting out most days and I think I'm getting to the, the root cause of the little niggles that are bogging me, you know, so it's uh, hopefully now as the sun has, we've had a few nice days here in Ireland last week, you know, so hopefully there'll be a lot more of that at least now yeah. coming up, you know, and which will be a boost, I think, both to mood and to health as well. Uh, absolutely. And, and hopefully, hopefully we'll have some races to report on soon, Rene, whether they're virtual races or real races. Um, I think everybody is just so looking forward to, to doing something as soon as possible. Today's topic, Rene, it's, it's an interesting one because we've been talking a lot about zone two and zone three training. It was a great chat with Dr. Paddy Barrett last week about the, the benefits, especially say of zone one and two. And today we're going to take a step back even further and take a deep dive on zone one, which is, you know, barely, I think, running at all. It's a really slow, easy jog. And, and I might just maybe set the scene for today's chat with an anecdote from my own training over the last 48 hours. And um, last week I mentioned in the chat with Paddy that sometimes I was finding it hard in my 12-week um, base building phase before I was starting to train hard and with sessions and getting ready for races and with, you know, your typical 1K reps and hill reps. It was all just easy mileage I was doing for 12 weeks. And I found it very hard to actually slow down into level into zone one because I was never tired enough to have to go to zone one. So I was consistently in zone two and probably more in zone three than I should have been. Well, this week was my week one of my race prep for summer racing. And I had two sessions in the bag, a five by 1K last Friday. And yesterday, my first um, pace run, if you like, pretty much close to 90% max HR. And this morning, Rene, there was nothing more that I could have done than zone one. I mean, I was nearly just walking. And for the first time in 12 weeks, um, that's what my body was forced to do because it was the first couple of days that I really ran hard. So it was a perfect example of the body forcing you into zone one to help you recover from hard running. With zone one, like zone two, the, the stimulus is in the duration. So it's not in the pace itself. And that means it can be quite boring when you do it because it's the, you know, the pace itself is not a challenge. It's, it's not a challenge at all. And um, unless, you know, you're really total beginner, in which case it can be a bit. But um, that means the only way to make it challenging is to go for a long time. 
and that can you know especially in this you know i think we're all programmed a lot more to quick satisfaction than we were you know we i think most of us probably have reduced concentration levels compared to what we had 20 years ago and certainly to what the generation before us had and it's just because obviously our society is set up uh, you know, with constant stimulus and constant entertainment or, or what you say, distraction. So that mean, can make these types of runs really um, challenging. And that means I think that you, we need to find a way to make them work for us. Uh, and one way is to make it self-limiting. So obviously it's easy when you get start the hard work, because when you start the really hard work, the body really needs the super easy work. So that's the good, so that's the good news. Once you can do the hard work without breaking, it kind of takes care of itself. But the challenge is that early phase you describe. And obviously the easiest way to make really easy running work is to do so much of it that you have no choice. You know, that's, that's another way to self-limit it. Um, that, you know, if, if you know that the duration you're going to go out on a day is 30 minutes, that will not for most people be a challenge in any way um, at a lot of paces and certainly not at zone one and zone two paces. And that means it's very hard to constrain yourself because why would you, you know, there's no kind of external impetus to say, slow down. It'll just be 30 minutes that feel quite boring, you know, and, and not very entertaining. So there's many ways you can make that interesting. Of course, you can pick a, an ice trailer park. If you have access, you can, throw in a few leg speed workouts you can put on a podcast there's various techniques you can use but the the most effective one is to say well i just have to do a lot of volume i can't just be doing these little nippy runs um you know i need to do enough volume over the course of the week that i actually feel that the only way i'm going to get through that volume is by running very slow because that way you have constrained the task you know and it's no different than when you do an all reason people run very slow on an ultra is because it's the only way they know they'll finish so you so, so that is the solution you know is to set the challenge up so you don't have a choice and and in trail running it's easier because you get the interest of of the hills and the scenery and the journey through the landscape um, and you can even enjoy a few stops you know to take in um, the scenery and to take you know on board food and water which will come more naturally than if you're just you know running small laps of a park where you know stopping to look around probably will just seem pointless to you and just remind us again of the benefits of zone one because as you said there in your opening comments that people nowadays we don't have the patience to be running slow for for long periods of time we want to do everything fast and like with our training we want to we want to be able to run for 16 minutes fast and say oh i smashed a great training session um, and a lot of the time we want to do that five or six days a week but we'll just break i think if we do that so what are those benefits of doing those long runs in zone one because i know you encourage a lot of your athletes to do that yeah, and for some of it, it actually comes easier because there's some personality types who actually really like it. But if we leave them yeah. aside just for a moment, because obviously they, they don't need our advice so much on this particular thing. Um, but if we look at zones, you know, I, I like to introduce zones with a bit of a rant because obviously zone, the, all the zone systems, you know, you have some with three zones and five zones and seven zones or 12 zones. Um, it's all a little bit arbitrary. You know, you could divide the intensity into nearly as many zones the key is really that there are there are three areas of intensity that most people will recognize which is easy and moderate and hard right and then you can talk about grades of that you know very hard or very easy and easy and so on most people use the five zone system and the five zone system what it does is it divides the easy part into two 
and it divides the hard part into two, which is zone four and zone five. So the easy is zone one and zone two. And we talked about like with Patty and with others in these course, zone two is kind of considered the magical endurance area where uh, you get the quickest bang for your buck in terms of the long-term endurance development, you know, and a lot of coaches describe it as your best aerobic pace, your maximum steady state, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, the, what, what is common for all of the easy zone is that when you're running the easy zone, you're only recruiting what's called um, fi- type 1 slow-twitch fibers. And those fibers uh, burn predominantly fat. They can also burn some sugar. So at the end of this zone is the aerobic threshold, which we've talked about many times. So that's the point when you, you know, your breathing becomes noticeably heavier and there's an accumulation of this waste product that we call lactate, which is a sign that now the body is, is using a lot more sugar and there's some oxygen debt starting to build up and you get a very different hormonal response, basically. And the reason that happens is that you've started to use what's called type two fibers. So basically, once you start using type fast twitch fibers you're no longer running easy because the pace you're running at is requires more everything that is type one is easy but there is the difference between zone one and zone two is that in zone one you are only using fat there's no sugar involved whatsoever Mm -hmm. so that that's the difference between zone one and zone two so zone two tends to get more kind of quick performance benefits um especially for already well-conditioned athletes but zone one is still the foundation for that and you are always building zone one in a way because it's so it's about 10 percent below the heart rate where you go from easy to medium so let's imagine that was 145 you know and 10 percent of 145 is 15 so 15 off 145 would give you a heart rate of 129 yeah you know, most people would look at that and say, wow, I, I, can I even run at this intensity? Um, but that would be zone one, 129 and below. And a lot of people can't run at that intensity. Um, and it has to do with, them. you know, people sometimes blame the system and say, it's ridiculous. You know, why would I even try? Um, but it's not the fault of the system. It's because you've become too metabolically inefficient. You're not conditioned enough in that zone. Uh, Your type one muscle fibers are too weak because you haven't trained them enough. And that's why your heart rate raises too quickly. So obviously what's the solution when you're weak at something is to actually do it. Uh, And this is where it's challenging because most runners who are a little bit competitive and who like the thrill of running fast, they look at that and they say, I don't want to touch that, you know, because it's, it's just boring. Um, And there can be great benefit, Renny, to it because how many times have we read training diaries or read reports of, you know, really top class runners who, after long periods of just easy, easy mileage, um, they can all of a sudden, you know, knock out a really fast 5K or a really fast 10K um, just because they've trained their body so well. It hasn't been knackered by doing 10 weeks of 1K reps or hill reps. It's just been, it's, it's consistently stayed fresh while consistently building a fantastic aerobic base. So then when they do go, and run fast, their body's nice and clean, and they can benefit from all that super relaxed, clean running. Yeah, there's a metaphor for they say that it, aerobic training like this is like a it's like a boat in a harbor. It's like raising the water level, you know, from the tide, yeah. maybe. Uh, so that's aerobic foundation. Whereas training anaerobically at the high intensity is like building a crane and pulling up the boat. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. so that, that is basically how it is. So one builds you up, and the other kind of breaks you down, and has to be used with a lot of sense. Um, but 
a quick kind of guide to how do you use zone one then? You know, if you're kind of bought into, okay, maybe I need to have this thing. <laughs> so first of all, you're probably already using it for recovery runs. So after yeah. say races, when you're very knackered anyway, the legs won't move very fast. You're probably using it there. Uh, you're using it probably in your warmups and cool downs. Although from experience, a lot of runners do their warmups and cool downs too fast, at least early on, because okay. it, it, it's quite okay to have a kind of an East African style uh, warm up to a run where you start super slow, but then as the warm up progresses, you get a bit faster. You know that mm. that's perfectly fine. But a lot of runners I see and I train, they go straight into kind of that fault pace nearly from minute or from the first second. Um, yeah. So so then you miss out on doing zone one obviously as part of your warm up and cool down. Um, and whenever your body's under pressure, so when you're sick, when you have niggles, um, and you actually feel, I don't think I can run on this today. That's a great time to try zone one running because the impact of zone one running is much much lower than even zone two and that can be maybe enough sometimes that if you swallow your pride and ignore the fact that you don't like running at the pace you're running at you could actually run without pain that day so you get to mm -hmm. spend time outside uh, strengthening the body and the heart um, where normally you would just basically have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and said you know oh i can't run five minutes per kilometer faster today so i'm not going to do it at all you know that kind of yeah attitude. yeah and um, just a question really on the warm-up in zone one um people typically might do maybe a 20 25 minute warm-up before their session maybe even before a race but maybe they're kind of drifting into zone two for that warm-up if we're strictly staying within zone one for the warm-up, is there a long-term benefit to us for, you know, extending out that warm-up to 35, 40 minutes? And the reason why I ask, Renny, is just I remember um, when I was based in Bank of Ireland in Baggett Street in Dublin, for a season or two, I used to have to run out there at Farnham to do our 1K sessions on a Tuesday night. And it took me about a 40 to 45 minute easy easy run to go from Baggett Street out to Raffarnham and then I did my session and I found that for those weeks that I was doing that I was I felt really strong and really good and I'm just thinking now maybe was those long 40 to 45 minute easy zone one warm-up and uh, warm-ups to get to Raffarnham did that maybe play any part in it? It probably did, Owen, but it seems to be something you have to use a bit with care because long warm-ups in some stories want to be counterproductive, you know, if they get overly long. Okay. Um, but, it, you know, generally the, the benefit of zone one is that it's so easy that for most runners, it won't impact you. You know, whereas if you did zone two, borderline zone three for 40 minutes, then obviously you would be tired for the session itself, you know, yeah. and then you lose don't want the only thing it's a bit of a segue but the one thing to know with warm-up is that there's you you're trying to do different things so the zone one would be to get the body warm to get the muscles uh you could you could say get some blood flow into the muscles getting the aerobic system fully up and running at peak efficiency things like that um and that's obviously great but then when you're doing a fast run that that tends to need to be a need to transition in the warm-up so for instance that's why most people have strides in the warm-up it's because to run fast the tension in your muscles cannot be too low when you start and when you do zone one running it actually lowers the muscle tension so that's why we use strides or maybe even let's say a two minute uh, moderate to hard effort as part of the last bit of the warm-up that's just to warm up all the other parts of the system you know like muscle tension get the anaerobic system switched on as well so this, this would be the case, for instance, if you're warming up for a 5K road race, 
you know, in, the, in that case, there could be a benefit to having more than just zone one running if the warm up that makes sense. You know, that you, okay, just, yeah. you do like a flight check, you get all the systems ticked on, and then you're ready to go. Sure. Um, in case I um, forget later on, Renny, just before we close off on zone one, we've talked about the benefits of zone one and zone two for warm up for our easy days, zone four and zone five, of course, for racing and for training hard. Are you a fan of zone three at all? Or would that be the area that would be considered junk miles? What are your thoughts on zone three? Well, zone, zone three is very important at the right time of the season. Uh, because zone three is where most of the longer races actually happen. You know, they they happen at the high end of zone three usually. And the very mm-hmm. long race, you know, marathon actually happens at the bottom of zone three. Mm-hmm. Um, but that so that means it's very race specific, but that's also the problem. So it's a there's basically two categories of training. You can say that's what's called uh, capacity training, which is for the long-term performance of the athlete, and then there's what's called utilization training, which is for the short-term race performance. So zone three it raises the lactate threshold, which a lot of people were known of, and it makes you more economical at running at the specific intensities of zone three, but it doesn't give you much of a long-term benefit. And because it's very metabolically and hormonally demanding on the body, when you do it too regularly and in too high doses, it actually wears you down, you know, week after week. And this is what you often see in long seasons of hill running and road running. Why, you know, after a period of time, it's like your recovery starts to get a little bit longer. The muscles just seem to stay, you know, more sore for another extra day. The race performances just start to slip a little bit. This is a typical sign of, you know, overuse of zone three. And of course, as well, you know, zone four and zone five, because in a race, they, those intensities always slip in there as well. Yeah. And I suspect, Renny, maybe a lot of road runners, a lot of club runners might fall into that trap because they're going to be hitting zone four and five in their club sessions and they're racing and then they're probably drifting into zone three for a lot of their maybe easy days as well and maybe that's what causes a lot of burnout as you said towards the end of the season and when I, I think i have to hold my hand up there i'm probably guilty as charged on that one over over many years drifting too much into zone three and um, to finish off our conversation today Renny, on zone one there was a term that you mentioned to me before we came on air fast packing and it was a term that I wasn't aware of, and I had to just look it up to see what the definition of it is. But it's something that can actually help us and um, pass the time and help us enjoy zone one training. Maybe talk to us about fast packing. Yeah, so it's obviously it's kind of a mixture. Uh, it's a new term, I think, a few years old. That it's a mixture of trekking and trail running and hiking. And um, the main difference between uh, traditional hiking and, and this is that you you're basically pack as a trail runner so you travel light as light as possible you know they actually recommend uh, that kind of in fast packing to have maximum seven kilos and this is based on some observations that much more than seven kilos of pack then it starts to impact your running form negatively um, but because it's fast pack, the, the particular that particular term it seems to be mainly for multi-day kind of excursions. So let's say, oh, and you wanted to go away for a few days in the hills. So you are traveling for hours and hours and hours and end that you're just alternating between, you know, hiking, running and walking uh, as the terrain and your energy levels dictate. But I think fast packing, it's still quite a useful term, even if it's just one long outing. You know, so for instance, you might go down to to Wicklow Hills and say, I'm going to be out today for eight hours on these hills. Um, But you don't have this mindset that I have to run every step you know, you, you make it a lot more pleasurable 
so but you will cover a lot more ground than a hike um so i think that's it's a very nice idea if you want to boost your zone one training because when you do that sort of uh, journey you can't really even spend too much time in zone two because zone two would not it won't last that long uh so this this could be a good way you know to get a quick boost to that system you know while in a way nearly having kind of a holiday experience and um, yeah it sounds like a very sociable training session as well any it was maybe you know two or three years out just um slowly moving through through the trails through the mountains and with a bit of a jog a, a tiny bit of good kit um, and just having a good time sounds like a, a lovely way of spending maybe five or six hours on a saturday or sunday yeah, and I think a lot of the trail running holiday operators, that's, you know, I because, you know, I'm one myself, Owen, not for a while now, obviously, but um, we used to bring over groups of Danish trail runners. And the, the idea was always to be out the whole day. Like that was the brief that my, uh, the guy who does all the sales in Denmark, that's the brief he would give me. You know, he says, yeah. pick a route that's long enough that we'll be out there in the mountain for most of the day you know, include time for a lunch break, uh, maybe a coffee stop. Um, and he says, make sure there's plenty of stops for um, culture and pictures, you know, so that way it, it's also because a big group obviously has many different levels. So you, you need this kind of catch up <laughs> mechanism. But you could say a, day, a long day like that on the hills. Is that not training? I, you know it's definitely training and it's definitely valuable especially if you do four days of it in a row well, yeah. yeah and I'd probably even go a step further Renny, and say that from what I've observed from working at trail races um, over the last couple of years is that the vast majority of the participants are probably actually fast packing through the big, long 100K, 180K races um, here in Transgan and Canardia and UTMB, because for the majority of participants who aren't at the elite level that are pushing hard, racing for top 10 positions, racing for podiums, a lot of people are just doing it to get through the experience and aren't necessarily running all the time. They're, they're probably fast yeah i that has been my observation as well Owen. like it in in ultras you are using a lot of those techniques especially the long hilly you know the longer and hillier they are um in my company we train people now as as far up as 200 miles right 200 mile yeah. races and it kind of boggles the mind in many ways um although i know that people listening to this who think that's short probably but it's um not many, but there'll be one or two probably. They, but you can't prepare for a 200 mile race, the enormous volume you have to do without actually using fast packing as a training technique. Because mm -hmm. I, I know, for instance, one guy we work with at the moment, um, uh, he's aiming for that triple crown in America and, and hopefully it'll go ahead. And that means three 200 mile races in three months. And how do you do that? Because it takes basically two days each, you know, or more. So I know from his, this guy has a lot of experience. I know some of his previous runs or weeks have been up to 26, 30 hours of training, you know, in a week. So you won't be doing 30 hours of zone two training. You know, it's not going to happen um, because you're going to break down as a runner if you do that. Uh, yeah. so, so, so that's a good example of where zone one really comes into its own, because if you have to prepare for these kind of mind-bogglingly long events the only choice you have is to pack so many hours into a week that you have to do most of it in zone one anyway okay well Renny, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on on zone one before we wrap it up for this week i just leave people with the message that it's it's quite healthy as well, right? Uh, you can actually, some of the running, if you're very unused to running slow, it can sometimes be as slow as uh, 840, 
minutes per kilometer, right? Yeah. So just be prepared for that. Uh, but the studies show that it's even when you could walk faster, it's actually healthier to do it as running. And I'm not saying don't walk, you know, walk as well uh, when you when you want to, but it's the hormonal response you get for some reason by this slow jogging is vastly superior to from the walking. So you get about 10 times more of this um, thing called uh, endocannabinoids. That's a form of um, stimulant in the body that's a natural pain reliever. It's a mood enhancer as well, and it relieves stress and it lowers blood pressure. And you get five to six times more than when you run at medium and fast running intensities. So just keep that in mind. You know, you're basically medicating yourself with zone one. Uh, and it, apart from what I just mentioned, it does a lot more to benefit you, you know, so maybe think about it as more than training. Uh, yeah. Think about it as something you could use as nearly, as I said, self-medication. And that's exactly what Paddy Barrett was saying last week, Rennie, isn't it? In terms of running slow and easy like that in zone one, um, literally adds years onto your life and is the best medicine for so many illnesses that Paddy and his colleagues um, see in their, in their clinics and in the hospitals that they work in. So um, absolutely, it's a superb way to train and stay healthy. And uh, Rennie, I must admit, that after my hard training session yesterday and um, i'll probably be stuck in zone one for the next day or two on my runs um until i'd say maybe early next week i think maybe at this stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's hope not too long Owen, because then it's a <laughs> it's a problem well, then i did something you, too you... wrong i probably did something too hard too quick in my first week of um, fast training back but uh hopefully the body will recover quickly renee thanks a mil for that and we look forward to chatting to you next week if anybody wants to get Rene of course they can get him on runningcoach.ie alright talk to you see you Rene my name's Sarah McCormack my name is Brian Fury my name is Nicola Duncan my name is Zach Hanna my name is Mark Ryan I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Time for our feature interview this week with Moira O'Sullivan. Where do I begin with an introduction for Moira? A much loved and respected member of the mountain running community, Moira was the first person to complete the Wicklow round within 24 hours. The Wicklow round, which of course is a hundred kilometers over 26 of Ireland's remotest mountain peaks. She showed her incredible inner strength again in becoming a national mountain running champion on two occasions and a three-time national adventure race series winner while breastfeeding and bringing up two young sons. And she has had to use all that strength and determination more than ever over the last two years after the passing of her husband Pete. Maura has just released her latest book, A Quarter Glass of Milk, which tells us about her journey over the last two years when she needed the mountains and the running community more than ever. It's a real pleasure to welcome Maura O'Sullivan. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Great to have you on board with us. And Maura, I was thinking about the interview today and and I just thought that it must be a very strange time at the minute for you, because on the one hand, you're, you must be very proud of finishing off another book, your fourth book, um, 80,000 words, I think you said, that were more or less in it. Um, and all the excitement of releasing a book and promoting a book. 
But then at the same time, every interview that you do is going to bring you back to, to a sad time when you lost your husband, Pete. So I'm just wondering how you're, you're coping with the emotional roller coaster of that great pride of producing another book, but then also going back to that maybe sad time that, that you and your family experienced. I quite like doing the interviews because when somebody dies, and especially if they've died by suicide, if you can't bring them up in daily conversation, often if I mention Pete to somebody, they don't know what to say back to me. So it's been brilliant to have the book there for people to be able to hear about Pete and, and for his memory to live on. And I actually, I've always loved talking about Pete. I'm super proud of him. I'm really glad that we got to have over 10 years together. So it's been, I, I look forward to these interviews that I get to talk about him and our life together. Sure, it's a nice chance to go back down memory lane, maybe. Yeah, it is. I think also, it's interesting. I never set out to be an author. Uh, my degree's in chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> I used to work uh, with concern in the developing world as a manager. This was never part of the plan. But it seems like I keep on having things in life where my first book was Mud, Sweat and Tears, and that was after I had failed the Wickler round. And then the second time I managed to get around. And I felt like I wanted to write that book because people were saying, oh, God, the Wickler round sounds horrible. Like it's so long and it's so many mountains, 26 mountains, and it's it's 100 and something kilometers. And I was kind of like, well, no, I actually, yes, it was kind of hard, but there's an awful lot of good out of it. Like you get to be out in the mountain all day and you get to go and see them all. And I love doing the reckeys and you get to see the sunrises, the sunsets, the moon. And I wanted to write down about a different perspective about the Wickler Round. And my second yeah. book, Bump, Bike and Baby, you know, I had a lot of people around me who were saying, God, I love being a mom. It's just so wonderful and baby's so cute. And I was just like, oh my God, I hate being pregnant. These babies, yes, I felt very, very protective for my children, but I was like, this is an awful lot of milk and shite, lads. Mm. And yeah. realizing it took about, you know, having giving birth and realizing your body is pretty kaput afterwards, you know, uh, and that you've got to rebuild it all back again. And in a way, you know, I really, I, I, sh I wish I hadn't been in the position where I had to write this latest book, A Quarter Glass of Milk. I wish Pete was still here alive and I was scratching around for book ideas. But yeah. I felt it was important to write down and say, well, this is what happens when a partner takes their own life. And yeah. this is the chaos that happens. And hopefully somebody will pick it up who has sometimes suicidal thoughts and think, God, I would never want to put my loved ones through that, never. And, but equally those who, who have lost somebody they love to suicide, I hope they'll pick it up and say, well, these are the small things that helped Maura. It was for me getting back, doing something I loved, which was being in the mountains. And it yeah. was 
have being around people who loved and supported me, which I found was the mountain community. So all these books, I never meant to read them, write them. It was just that I found my experience was slightly different from the normal narrative. Yeah, and all the, the books have these wonderful, great names, Maury, you mentioned Mud, Sweat and Tears, um, Bump, Bike and, and Baby, and The Hound from Hanoi as well. And this latest book is called A Quarter Glass of Milk. And maybe could you talk us through what that title means? Yeah, it was, you know, even within a couple of days of Pete passing away, I was remember talking to a friend and saying, you know, I feel like a couple of months ago, he'd only been uh, sick for about six months. I said a couple of months ago, I felt like I really had a full glass of milk, like everything was going well. We, you know, we had, we wanted children and we got two amazing boys and they were healthy and we were in a place that we really liked to live and we had a home and we had work that we liked and we were, everything was stable. And then within a couple of months, the glass was just tipped over. And I just see all this milk spilt everywhere. I'm like, I know I'm not meant to cry over spilt milk, but all I wanted to do was sob. And then it was as if now within those couple first few days, I realized that the glass, you know, was righted. I was still here, the boys were still there. And I could see there was a little bit left. It wasn't like there was half, half that we had to think, oh, well, you know, maybe look on the bright side. Like there was about a quarter left. Like three quarters was drained away whenever Pete took his life. And all yeah. I could think was, what I, you know, do I weep forever over that three quarters that have been spilled? Or do I get on with a quarter that's remaining? And I heard it put another way is that, you know, when you have such a tragedy, do you th- sit around and think, why me? Or do you start thinking, what now? And I think that is a choice we all face when we we face we have a big tragedy or loss in our lives. Yeah, and isn't it maybe a choice more that a lot of people are facing this year with the whole pandemic as well, um, where maybe people haven't haven't experienced such loss as you did, but a lot of people have lost businesses. A lot of people have lost loved ones and family members. Their lives have been turned upside down. But as you said with the title of the book, that we still have some milk left in our glass, that we can still be grateful for a lot of things in life, despite the fact that we can't get out and train more than five kilometres from our house, um, certainly in the Republic anyway. Um, mm. Up to North Moira, what are you at, at the minute? Are you free to get out and train? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now, to be honest, I, I can get onto the Morn Way in five minutes from my front door, so I've not really tested any rules. But no, we're, we're, we can, we don't have the same restrictions as down south. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a great message that, that the book has. And especially this year um, in 2020 and 2021. And you, you mentioned more the great support that you found in the running community but also in the mountains themselves. And maybe there's two different questions there. How did the running community help you? And then how did the mountains themselves, nature, how did that help you over the, the 12 months following Pete's death? Um, I'd say, you've, you talked about the running community. Um, I'd say running, for me initially was a great 
not the community, running itself was a great disappointment. In a way, whenever I back, when I started mountain running when I was my, my 30s, my early 30s, I had, I had been living in Kenya for a long time and I ended up back in Dublin. You know, I had a new job. Um, I had a new home. I didn't have many friends in Dublin or anything. And when I got into the Imra and the mountain running community, I found that um, I found my place. I found running helped me to see new places, get to new people. It was there for me and it provided a new challenge for me to, to just get a sense of identity. And then whenever I had children, running was just everything for me to be able to, you know, if you have children under the age of three, definitely, they are 24 seven care. And mm -hmm. just the ability to get away for one hour and go for a run was everything to me and to be able to train. And so running and biking and keeping fit was that respite from being all of a sudden a full-time mom. But whenever Pete died, running wasn't there for me. What would happen was I'd go out for a run. And the first time I went for a run after Pete died, I had a panic attack. And because I had kept so many emotions, so many feelings, so many worries, all under wraps inside the house in, at the wake. And as soon as I went out for a quick run, they the floodgates opened and all those, those thoughts just bombarded me and I couldn't breathe. And it meant that the idea of running scared the hell out of me because I knew that that was actually could be a place where I could have a thought which I just wasn't ready for. Um, yeah, so I saw one of your Facebook posts, I think, was it during the summertime, more that one of your great friends, Paul Mahan, really had to help you out one day the two years had to dig deep in the morn mountain marathon where exactly what you were describing there happened you were in the morn mountain marathon race but just became overwhelmed with emotion and anxiety and it was paul that helped get you get you through it i think that day yeah it was this it was the stress of racing you know ultimately we all understand as athletes that there's lots of stresses that we have. There's the stress of work, the stress of family, you know, positive and negative, but the stress of training. And then for me, racing was just one too many stress for me to deal with. And I, I like I, when I got, I went to the Mourn Mountain Marathon, people were saying, you know, how do you think you'll get on? And I said, the fact that I'm at the start line, lads, after all I've gone through, that's my victory. That's what I'm even amazed by. But I wasn't confident enough to enter a race where I'm racing on my own. I haven't, the, I haven't adventure raced since Pete died yeah. because I, I can't actually handle that stress. But the Mountain Marathon, it's a two-person team. And Paul's been, and his partner, Hilary, have been just wonderful. They are at the end of the phone for me. If I called them right now, they would pick up. Yeah. If I said I'm having a problem, they would literally drive four hours to where I am now. Yeah. And that's the kind of friendship which comes out of being in the mountains with people. And so sure. when I had that panic attack in the mountain marathon, he just was like, okay, let's just cool it. It's all right. Put away your map. Just, just let's get rounds. Let's get this next thing. And then we'll deal with it later. And um, totally understand. <laughs> and I'm curious more just to, to try and understand where the stress came from. 
did the stress of competing come from the fact that you were so successful before and you had this pressure that, oh, everybody thinks to be fighting for a podium here. I'm going to be looking for the win and I'm just not ready for that. Or, or was it the stress of, I don't know, maybe Pete not being there, not being there, looking after the kids while you're out racing? What were the different triggers that was causing that discomfort while you were racing? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both that um, that I'm not, people are surprised that I'm not able to race as hard as I could, or maybe it's in my yeah. own mind. Um, so I found great solace in going orienteering instead because, you know, you set off at two minute gaps and nobody knows how well you're doing until they see the the, the board maybe later and it's, 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 you're already home by the time you see the results. So nobody asks you how you've done. Whilst if you're out there competing, or everyone's starting at the same time, everyone knows how well you, or badly you've done. So yes, there is that. But also, you know, Owen, I'm 45. I'm a single mother. I'm a widow. And, and I have every responsibility of a household that normally should be shared with two. Yeah. And, um, I'm the sole breadwinner, all those things. Uh, I'm not looking for pity, but it's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yes, yeah. And it wasn't what I expected in life, and that's fine because sometimes you don't realise what's best for you. And you know, I've I've grown from this, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. Talk to us about the more mountains, Mara, because I must admit I've never been to them, but I've heard so How many. Could you? I know, and I've heard so many wonderful things about them. Um, Zach Hanna, who you know, shared a couple of Irish teams with. He he, he tells me he's in the most days training. I, I see his social media posts, and I, I know that you have a, a super company in the base of the Moor Mountains as well. Tell us about the Moor Mountains. Tell, tell me how good they are, and and you know, I'll look forward to visiting visiting them as soon as I can. Well, you know, the, one of the top mountain running class, clubs here is Newcastle AC. And I know if they head south towards Carantool or Lugnacula, yeah. <laughs> down south start to shake. Um, like the, the climbs can be just so steep and so rocky. It's just a fantastic area to be able to train because also we have, it's a good thing and a bad thing. We also have the Mourn Wall. Yeah. And it means that even if it is, not great weather we can still get out and have the shelter of the wall to go up the big climbs and not be too worried about navigation um i remember talking to Eva mondo about her kerry ultra record and she a couple of months beforehand had gone around the dennis rankin round here which is the equivalent of the wicklow round um in the in wicklow and she smashed the record um in the dennis rankin round and then went on to the Kerry Ultra and smash that record too. And she basically said it was because of all the time she'd spent in the morns wrecking the Dennis Rankin Round route. So nice. I think time and time again, you're seeing that they're a great training area, but also they're very compact. So you can get quite quickly between um, a lot of peaks. Um, and yeah, no, and they're, they're fantastic. They are very beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about it later on, Maura, but as we're talking about the Moor Mountains now, um, tell me about your company, Happy Out Adventures, and how that has gone since Peter's passed. I mean, do you have the time and the energy to, 
to put your time and effort into it? Has it been on pause over the last 12 months with the pandemic? What are your plans around Happy Out Adventures? Because it looks like a, a wonderful, wonderful company for people who want to learn more about how to run and walk and trek in the mountains. When you get to a certain age, you realize you can't keep up with lots of people. So if yeah. you can't do, you teach. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to, in 2006, whenever I was living in Dublin, that I was able to go out with the likes of Paul Mahan, one of my good friends also, Andrew McCarthy. And because I would tail around with them, they taught me how to read a map and compass. And it was you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to really master a skill. And they gave me those 10,000 hours. Mm. And I feel like, you know, for the sake of bringing people out for a couple of hours to teach them the skills so that they can start exploring the mountains. It's, I, I love teaching people. I love seeing the pennies drop in their brains when they understand what a contour is, when they understand that you just follow the needle it's, it's wonderful to be able to let people understand all that. And I just, when I say goodbye to people at the end of the training courses, I just, I'm jealous of the adventures they're going to just start having. And it's been lovely to be then bump into people after races and they go, oh my God, we, you know, we found our way to this control and we did, we used that trick, trick you told us and that's worth its weight in gold. So yeah. I love, I love doing, like I do basic navigation courses and then more advanced ones for people who want to like the tactics. I love, I love navigation tactics. And, but then also a lot of people want to do recce's of the Dennis Rankin round and I've done it twice. So um, I'm happy enough to show people the way and to kind of give them tips about nutrition and, you know, um, where to pick up the best chips for the stop at Belgadam and, you know, it's and then some people just want to, you know, I've had people coming from Scotland. They said, we just want to go for a run the morns and we just don't have the time to, to yeah. work out routes. Um, and then also some people have contacted me and they're just people who live around the area. And they say, look, I've got some kids and I really like to bring them to the morns, but I have no idea where to go. I have no idea what to bring. And I can, you know, over a simple four hours, I can teach them the basics so that they can actually get out there and be safe for their family. So for me, it's very much, I really love giving people some skills so that they can get out there and enjoy the mountains because we are super super lucky in Ireland you know I've lived I've lived in Vietnam where there's landmines if you go running in the mountains I've lived in Nepal where you can't during the monsoon season the play the, the the trails are like ice rinks and they're covered in leeches and I hate leeches very much yeah you get and then you there's certain places you can't run because you know the altitude goes up too fast um, and there's the associated danger with that. You know, there's places where it's just the mountains where there's snow six months of the year. We are so lucky in Ireland that we have mountains we get into all year round and that they are safe. There's no wild animals and it's, and we have mountain rescue services in case anything goes wrong. We are so lucky. And for the sake of having a couple of skills to be able to get out there, you know, we really need to, to, to use those resources. Well, best of luck with the company. And I'm sure you're, you're dying for life to get back to, to normal and to, to have all those tours and have lots of races going on and have groups going up to you. And hopefully the business will flourish over the next couple of years. I, you know, I kind of like keeping it simple. You know, um, I like I keep like my groups just down to three. 
uh, when we do training courses because I really like kind of the banter and like I like the, the when people feel comfortable that they can ask whatever questions they want so I'm not looking for big numbers and growth I like pottering along and I like having quality time in the mountains with people and helping them get to the goal that they want so you know I'm not look uh, there's there's no great ambitions <laughs> okay and Laura any ambitions to go back competing like you did say 10 years ago and maybe we could go back in time to Moira who was just starting off running you had been in Kenya as you mentioned for a couple of years and you weren't there altitude training or or learning how to run with the Kenyans You, you were there doing very important work but you came back and within a couple of years you became a a three-time national champion. You were doing super in all types of mountain and trail running races. Um, And before maybe we get back to what the future holds for you, is there, what what tips, what training tips, what advice can you give to people listening? And especially maybe female listeners who are starting off on their journey in trail running races and mountain races. What were the key aspects of your training even your diet, if you want to throw that in, anything you want to throw into the mix that helped you become that great athlete? Um, so 2006, 2009, when I was around Dublin, Wicklow, um, and got into mountain running. And I didn't really have any much of a training plan or anything. It was more kind of going out with other people who were running. You know, I, I was there was other... It was really quite a social thing, you know, and I, so I would prefer to talk about rounds where 2013. So I yeah. left, I left Ireland 20, 2009 because of the Celtic Tiger um, uh, disappearing. And then I came back and I had my first child and I knew that in order to get back after having a baby, I needed to have a coach. So literally six weeks after having my firstborn, I started off with a guy called Eamon Tilly, who would be more um, triathlon, but he also does, you know, but he's, he's quite a jack of all trades. Um, and he, um, he kind of gave me better discipline about training. And I think especially if you want to talk about females, yes, we have babies and there are associated issues around um, whenever you, you're, you have that, that physical change. So particularly where, you know, you've got your core gets, get, gets kind of blown up, uh, blown apart when having, you're having a baby and, you know, associated issues around pelvic floor. He actually spent an awful lot of time um, doing strength conditioning for me. It was definitely, it was like three times a week, straight away, lots of planks, yeah. <laughs> lots of lunges, lots of, lots of squats. And he really got me, much stronger than I would have been without a coach. Okay. And particularly with having, after having baby and also because then just the, the lack of time, I really helped having a coach who basically, I just didn't have the time to think about what should I do now? Should I go for a run? Should I go for a bike? Should I what? And he would literally say, okay, today you're doing a 70 minute run with intervals, 30 seconds, higher heart rate, 90 seconds off or whatever. And I wouldn't have to think about what I have to do because he was not only telling me what to do on a day-to-day basis, but he had the bigger picture of the periodization over a six-week block 
Plus also he had my the races that I wanted to do already in, a, in the timetable so that he knew then when to taper. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not very good at, at, at knowing what I should do for myself. I can't self-train. I just, I don't have the time or energy to work that one out. Yeah. So he does it for me. So there's, I really have benefited from having a coach um, yeah. who keeps an eye on things because also the one thing he was really good at, which I really needed was if I was not well, he would say, don't train. And if I was, uh, had an injury, he would say, don't train. And I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes think, oh, I should just go out for a run, you know, or I should do something and that guilt was he took that guilt away from me, which was great. And nowadays um, I, so during the lockdown, because I didn't have, uh, I, I didn't have childcare. I haven't today, so we're March, 2021. I have run three times this year and I have instead been doing an awful lot of indoor bike work. So a lot of cadence work, really high cadence work, which yeah. then also translates over to really high cadence when running. And I've been doing an awful lot of indoor rowing and the strength on that. It's funny because, because now whenever I go over rough terrain on the mountains, I basically bounce because I'm so used to having that, that impact of the, on the pushing effect of the indoor rowing, which actually makes, makes me very bouncy on bog. I can hear more as you're speaking that, that determination in your voice and in what you're describing that champions have. And, and it's wonderful to hear because despite everything that's happened, you're still training so hard. And maybe that's where my question came from about the future was that it seems that you have this innate drive and determination in you to to be the best that you can be. Now, I know at the start of the conversation, we were speaking about those tough days in the the Moor and Mountain Marathon and getting back racing. But do you think that when things will settle down, when the kids are all back out in school, when the book publishing promotional tour is finished, what do you think will make you happy in the future in the mountains? Will it be just training and enjoying being in the mountains? Or do you have a need to compete and to be the best that you can be? I think I've been very lucky, Owen, um, that, you know, I had this thing where in my 30s, whenever I had the Wicklow round or on my, in my sights, I really had that burning need to figure, to, to prove to myself, prove myself to myself. Yeah. And I think that's why when I didn't get round the first time, I was so devastated. But going back at the second time, I felt at peace. And equally, whenever I... Um, whenever I signed up with Eamon and I had my first baby and then my second one, I was really curious at that stage, how good could I get? And I was at that time I was living, I was living in Derry. So there's not a lot of mountains around. So I was doing those, the one person adventure races, um, which involved mountain running, road biking and kayaking. And I was really focused and saying, well, how good can I be at this? And, um, that was, that was really interesting. Uh, it wasn't that I wanted to win because there was definitely some, one of the, the best races I ever did 
was where I came third and I had to really dig deep. And that's the one actually one I remember um, because I realized then that I could dig deep whenever I wasn't, uh, was just wasn't as good as the other girls. And I was really pleased with that. I don't, do I, am I making myself sound old, but at 45, <laughs> I'm just really glad I'm a vet now. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I had the exact same feeling, more when I went 40 <laughs> last year. I said, yeah, I'll be happy out competing um, in vet races um, if it makes life a little bit easier for me training and racing-wise. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, and it, it may, maybe, is that a target for you to, yeah, to, be, to be the top lady in the over 40s category or whatever it might be? You know, I think... I've kind of done it that on. I've kind of figured out how good I can be and what it takes to be that. Okay. And, and that's cool. It's like, I am at peace with that. And yeah. now what I've come to realize is I love spending time out in the mountains with other people and the rounds are brilliant for that. And I loved, I did the winter Dennis Rankin round in January, 2019. And Paul came with me. And we got other people to join on sections. And we did it a year after Pete's passing as a memorial to him that a long run in the mountains. It was a bit like darkness into light, the 5K movement, which is so popular in Ireland. It was like that on steroids, just over yeah. 90 kilometers and 39 mountains. And for me, we had a great day out. You know, I had the likes of Billy Reed running alongside me and Denise Mathers. And it was just we had a super day and for me I did a, a summer Dennis Rankin round and it was 21 hours 24 and the winter and I did that was solo and when I did the winter one with the uh, 14 15 hours of darkness we had some seriously not very nice weather for the last six hours we did 21 24 exactly the same time as my solo summer one and that I put down to the fact that it was a a whole pile of us and it was a group effort are the details of that in the book more in a quarter, yes, glass, a, of milk? No, quarter glass of milk the last six chapters are about my winter dennis ranking round brilliant okay well then we'll invite the listeners to, to get themselves a copy so to, to to get into the detail because i'd love to ask you about the detail of how you got through those 20 plus hours running and uh, what your nutritional strategy was what shoes you were wearing what training you did beforehand but we'll, we'll leave it for the book. Well, we'll I'll be honest with you. Owen, there was a, a very good, I'm sorry to um, mention a competitor, but yes. I spoke with Robbie from the Inspirational Runners podcast. And he actually did a Winter Dennis Rankin Round special. I think it's about two hours long. And he I saw it with some of the record holders. And Niall, Tier, uh, Niall Gibney and Aaron Shivens and myself. And we spill the beans on all the hows, whys, wheres. So for that level of detail, I would recommend people to go to, to Robbie's podcast. Finish your question. So for me, what I would love to do, I'd love to do the Bob Graham. I'd love to do the Charlie Ramsey. I'd love to do the Paddy Buckley. Um, but it's just a question of they're all on the UK mainland and I just have to work that out. But you see people in their 50s doing it and you know trotting around under 24 so yeah that would be my long-term goal to get all those kind of done because I've been in the Lake District I'd love to get to know the Lake District more I'd love to be go around Ben Nevis I, you know it's Mount Snowden 
So that would be my ultimate goal. Brilliant. And Maura, maybe to come full circle on our interview today, we've mentioned what the, the book is about. And for people that are listening in that maybe have family members, friends or, or partners that are going through tough times, that are maybe suffering from depression that, that Pete did, um, where should they go for help? What advice, although I know it's very, very hard to give advice to anybody, everybody's story is always very different. Even maybe what message would you like to give to people that have are going through, that have gone through a tough time, especially over the last 12 months? That's a very difficult question because ultimately I'm not a doctor. And I think the important yeah. thing is to remember that depression is a medical illness. Yeah. If I'm sure people have heard this, but if there's you've had somebody had a broken leg and you felt responsible for fixing that broken leg, you think that'd be kind of strange. But mm. for some reason, when it comes to mental health, people think that friends and family can can fix that their friend their, their their loved one. But it's not, you know, it's it does involve medication and it does involve counseling and it does involve a lifestyle lifestyle choices um you know where maybe exercise might help or whatever but i you know i can't give that level of advice and also because you see one of the things which is quite difficult is that you know pete did follow the medical guidance and still it didn't work so it's it's very difficult for me to know i that's why I, why I wanted to do Happy Out Adventures is because I feel that the mountains have always be, helped me mentally and physically. And so I, I, I hope that maybe there's somebody, I might prevent somebody from doing something where they felt they had to hurt themselves, where yeah. they have the skills to be able to go into the mountains and get some respite and actually maybe come back down the mountain and feel like they didn't need to do that. So that I, I'm, my hope is I'm doing more prevention than cure. Um, yeah. But I do realize that we are in a diff, very difficult time. I was very fortunate that I had contact with an organization called PIPS in Uri, and they help people who are, um, the, who are affected by suicide. And they have been wonderful in terms of keeping contact with me. And they are a resource if my children also have any need to process what happens, that they are there as well. So there is help there. Um, and But the main thing is just realizing how rife it is. And you are not alone. Not yeah. alone. If I could even own, the book has been released two weeks and I, my inbox is full of stories of people saying, me too. Me, I had this loss. Me, I suffer from mental health issues. My partner has suffered from mental health issues. It is rife. And that's from the, it's that's mainly from the mountain and running community. Maura, if people want to get the book, where's the best place that they can get the book from? Um, if you're in the South, uh, Eason's have lots of copies or you can get a direct from the publisher or Brian Press. Um, there's the main place. Or you, of course, you can always pick it up off Amazon. 
Brilliant. Okay, one more. Thanks a million for, for chatting to us today. I, I must admit, more. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the last 24 hours as I was getting ready for today's chat because I, I was reading just about your incredible life story over the last 15 years. Um, and I saw one article that listed all the different places that you had ran in. You mentioned someone earlier on, Bali, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Democratic Republic of Congo, Hong Kong, Kenya, the, the list goes on. And then, of course, all those wonderful sporting achievements, setting up a new company. So you're, you're an inspiration and to many. And it's been a wonderful privilege for me just finding out about, about your, your last 15 years and talking to you today. And more long may your great writing continue. And I look forward to, to reading the first four books. I haven't read them yet. And then um, hopefully there'll be a couple more over the next couple of years. You're very kind. And it's been a privilege to talk to you. Sure. I'm your greatest fan. <laughs> Thanks a little more. We'll talk again soon, hopefully. Thanks very much. Take care. Many thanks to Moyer for joining us today and inspiration in so, so many ways. And I have the feeling that we'll all be hearing a lot more from Moira over the coming weeks, not just within the running and the sporting community, but as her story gets told at a national level. And I joked with her that I expect her to be on Joe Duffy or Ryan Tuberty sometime soon. So I'll have to ask her to give us all, uh, all of us crazy mountain and trail runners, give us a big shout out when she's live to the nation with Joe or with Mr. Tuberty. But on a serious note, everybody, if you are affected in any way by what you may have heard today do reach out do ask for help aware the samaritans pieta house they are all there to help and you can find their details with a very simple and quick google search that's it for me for this week everyone many thanks for listening in do check out our patreon page if you would like to support the show keep on running everyone and as we said at the top of the show before you know it we will be back out training as normal and we will be back racing on our beloved mountains stay positive stay well stay safe everybody let's get our running gear on let's go (laughs) 